Hey guys, welcome to United. My name is Ryan. If you do not know me, I'm so pumped that you're here. So pumped that you're joining us as we continue our Look Up series. So uh, if you will, grab a Bible, open up to Romans 3. Romans 3. We're going to be looking at Romans 3, verses 9 through 24. So it's in the New Testament, towards the back of the Bible, Romans 3. Um, last week we talked about the glory of God as we, as we did this Look Up series. This week we're looking um, at worship. And what does worship have to do with glory? What does worship have to do with glory? And what does it all have to do with us? So we're going to look at Romans 3. Romans 3, verse 9. And I will read. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So pretty bad news, right? Paul is writing about the condition of human beings and it is not good. It's not good at all, and if it were to stop there, this would be a very sad place. But, but Paul continues, and he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. What he's saying here is that laws make us aware of what we're doing wrong. And that's what the law in the Old Testament did. It made us aware of what we were doing wrong and what we needed to do right. It's kind of like if you're driving down a road, um, you don't know you're speeding unless there is a legal speed limit sign. And when you see that it's 45 and then you look down and you're going 65, you realize, okay, I'm breaking the law. But if there's no law in the first place, you don't know if you're doing right or wrong. That's what Paul's saying here. But here's the good news. Uh, Paul says, but now, but now. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. Verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is the famous verse. There's the famous verse that we are going to, to really look at tonight. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter your gender or your race or your, or your background. It says, there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Let's pray for a second. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for how much you love us. We thank you for your glory. We thank you for the gift of worship. And Lord, um, we just ask in this time that we will focus on you and understand what your glory and our worship have to do with each other. Lord, speak to us right now. Calm our spirits and speak through me. Speak your words. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So I got to tell you something. I am an expert in worship. I'm an expert in worship. I know everything about it, I know how to do it, 
I know all the techniques. I've practiced a lot. I've been taught how to do it by various people throughout my life. I'm an expert in worship. Now, you're thinking one of two things right now. You're either thinking, well, Ryan, you're cocky and you're arrogant. Well, maybe. Maybe that's true. Um, Or else you're thinking, well, of course you know everything about worship. You're a professional Christian. You work at a church. You're a student pastor. You, 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 you have a, a dad that's been a pastor your entire life. You've grown up in the church. Of course you're an expert in worship. Not, I'm not. I, I, I don't know anything like you do. Well, neither one is, is really the truth in this circumstance because the truth is you're all experts in worship too. It's not just me. But it's all of us. We're all experts in worship. Because here's, here's what worship really is. Worship is praising anything that we find valuable. Worship is praising anything that we find valuable. Last week we talked about how um, the, the glory of a, of a person, um, of a really good looking person might be when they walk into the room and everyone looks at them like, oh my goodness, look how good looking that person is. Or the glory of a professional athlete is their size and their strength and their ability. And when we see them on the field, we see them in all their glory. The glory of a, of a, of a famous musician is them standing up there playing their instrument and singing. And everyone just being in awe of what they have to offer. And when we see that value in them, when we see them as valuable, these people as valuable, these things as valuable, we praise it. Worship is praising anything that we find valuable. Another way to put it is we give value to whatever we see to be valuable. We give value to it. If we love nature and we see how beautiful it is, we give value to it because we'll talk about it, we'll hike, we'll take pictures, we'll tell people about it, we'll get excited about it, we'll say, I can't believe this, this is an amazing view. We're giving value to what we see to be valuable. That's what worship is. And so the truth is, every single one of us is an expert at worship. An expert at worship. The first point in your notes is, we cannot not worship. We cannot not worship. What it's saying is, worship is always happening. Whether we like it or not, we are worshiping something. We're worshiping someone. We cannot not worship. We give value to what we see to be valuable. And it may be tons of different things. Um, And what I wanted to do is I wanted to uh, show you a couple videos of some expert worshipers. Some expert worshipers. Some worshipers that give their all to worship. They give everything they have to what they see to be valuable. So let's watch these videos. So what we just saw there were two examples of just massive amounts of worship. We saw hundreds of thousands of people going crazy over Michael Jackson, the king of pop, my favorite uh, musician of all time, and, and over the Beatles, one of the most famous bands in the history of music. And look at what those people did. They would jump on cars. They would smack windows. They would just 
just be tearing through security guards to get to who they wanted to. They'd sing songs, they'd cry tears, they'd raise their hands. People in the Michael Jackson concerts would see him come out on stage and faint because of the, the power and the glory that they saw in Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson's got some glory, or, or he had some glory. He could dance like crazy, he could sing like no one else. He's amazing. And so it kind of makes sense that he got famous and that people love him. But, but what they were doing is they were worshiping him. They cry their tears, they faint, they pass out and have to be carried away so they don't get crushed by the other worshipers behind them. As you see here, we cannot not worship. We all worship something. Maybe as you saw those videos, you started to think, okay, okay, I see what you're, start, I, I see what you're saying about worship. When I was in college, I played, um, I played uh, fantasy football. I still play fantasy football. I've been in a league with some guys, some friends of mine, some guys from the church uh, for, I think this is our 11th year. We have a trophy. We do a draft every year. We used to get dressed up and, um, and, and dress up in suits and ties like we were real like executives of teams. And, and we love fantasy football. And, and a lot of you guys play fantasy football as well. And uh, you love it as well. And it's exciting to pick an NFL player and say, like, you're on my team. Yeah, you're, yeah Jamal Charles, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, you're on my team. I'll start you if I want. Maybe I'll bench you if I want. I'll kind of do what I want because I'm in control here. That's kind of the reason we like fantasy football. But the thing about fantasy football is it's a fantasy. It's not real. Well, try telling that to me in college. Because although it's not real, I am super competitive. And if there's something that there can be competed in, I want to do it. And so um, uh, in college, I just lived and died with my fantasy football team. I'd get home from worship, from worshiping God, and I'd come home and I'd worship my computer and the TV, and I would just sit there and watch my scores. Oh gosh, oh, he scored a touchdown. Yes, I'm doing good. Oh no, I can't believe that guy's going off today, man. I'm going to lose. I'm so mad I should have started him. I should have started him. I should have traded him. I should have dropped him or picked him up. And, and, and I would just be so angry or so happy based on fantasy football. I, 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 if I lost on a Sunday night, I'd have... I'd have like trouble going to sleep. Like I'd, I'd wake up the next morning and be like, oh my gosh, I lost last night. Oh, what am I going to do? I'd go to class and I'd just think about my team. And then I, I couldn't wait till Tuesday to reset my lineup for the next week and, and pick up people and start going on the waiver wire and trading and looking at the standings and looking at points and figuring out where I was at. I was obsessed. I'd wake up in the middle of the night to do waiver wire pickups. That means picking up a, a free agent. I'd, I'd wake up in the middle of the night because I knew what time they went through and I'd hurry up and pick up the player I wanted to pick. See, I worshipped fantasy football in college. And I sure, I still care about it, and I love it. I love to win. My, my team played this weekend, and I lost, and I'm not happy about that at all. But there's a big difference between now and then. And, and at that point, I was worshipping fantasy football. I'm sure you've all thought of something that maybe you've worshipped in your life. So let's go back to Romans 3.23. Now that we've defined worship, we know that we've all worshipped. We all worship something. Romans 3, 23, but we'll start in 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. So the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That is what we are based upon at United. That's what we are based upon in the church. Faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference and then here's that famous verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, a lot of times we hear this and we think, 
okay, so I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, I can, I can dig it. Like, I've messed up. And everybody's messed up. And so we've fallen short of the glory of God because we're not good enough. Yes, that's part of it. But I want to get to the deeper meaning of this verse because it's not all about the sin. There's a root to the sin. An important thing to do is go ahead and look at the word, sinned. In the original Greek language, uh, the, the word for sin was hamartano, hamartano. And what it meant, what it means is to miss the mark, to miss the mark. It was an archery term, which explains why we did the archery game at the beginning of United. It was an archery term. And what it meant was to pull back your arrow, shoot it, and miss the bullseye, miss the mark. So now now it changes a little bit. It says, for all have missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God. So you may hear that and think, okay, I'm missing the mark. Like, okay, well, explain more, explain more. Okay, let's, let's go into it. What is the mark? What's the target of this verse? For all have missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God. The target, the target in this verse, what we have missed the mark on is the glory of God. Seeing the glory of God, understanding the glory of God, looking towards the glory of God. So now we say, well, we've missed the mark of the glory of God. Well, what next? Well, what are the arrows? What are we shooting that we missed the mark. Well, here's where it all comes together. The arrows we shoot, that's our worship. That's our worship. So all have missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God. All people, it is saying, has, have pulled that arrow back of worship and shot it at something besides God's glory. Now it makes a whole lot more sense when we say, well, you know, well, what about the innocent guy who dies um, and doesn't know Jesus? What about them? Well, well, there isn't someone that has never done anything wrong. But furthermore, furthermore, there's no one that's ever hit the mark of God's glory perfectly for their whole life. So it makes a little bit more sense than the whole sin thing and saying, well, I'm good, well, they're bad, well, all that kind of thing. It makes more sense to say this because the truth is nobody always, nobody hits all the time. Nobody does it. Has definitely not hit the mark of God's glory because the Bible says that Jesus is the personification of all of God's glory. And so it starts to make a lot more sense and be a lot more profound when instead of just saying they've sinned, they've fallen short of the glory of God, everybody's messed up, saying we've all missed the mark of worshiping God's glory and we've worshiped other things. A couple of quotes that, that really explain this. One's from Harold Best and it says, when we sin, worship does not stop, it changes directions. See, the worship continues. We just stop pointing it at God Start to point it at other things. Another, another quote from G.K. Chesterton says, When we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. We worship anything. What he's saying here is, when we stop shooting those arrows of worship at God, 
Worship doesn't just stop. People say, I don't go to church, so I haven't worshipped in a while. No, you've, you've kept worshipping. You've just started worshipping some other things. Well, what about when I sin? Well, the sin's coming because you're worshipping something else. The sin is the symptom. The worship is the problem. Misaimed worship is the problem that we have. Misaimed worship is our problem. We're aiming at things that do not deserve our worship. You know, atheists and and people that don't believe in God will say, um, well, you know, I'm not going to worship God because I'm not going to be controlled by God. I'm not going to be controlled by some religious system, by rules, by regulations, by a personification or some kind of God or whatever. Well, the truth is, they're still being controlled by something. It's just their something. It's just what they want to be controlled by. Rather than giving control over to God, they're just getting controlled by money or by short-term pleasures or by selfishness. It's all the same. We're all getting controlled by something. As Christ followers, we say we want to be controlled by the God of the universe and not some junk of the world. And that's the good news of Jesus. We get to be controlled by a loving Father. So I, I'd ask you, what do you worship? On your notes, you have a little target. And I have a target up here, and, and I'll try my best to draw on it. But um, what do you worship? Well, what we're supposed to worship at the bullseye is the glory of God. So we'll put that at the middle. The glory of God. And that's what we're supposed to be shooting our worship at. But so many times we miss the mark. And sometimes we're way off. We're shooting way over past the, past the target and we don't even hit it. But sometimes we hit the target and we even get really close. And we think, well, I'm okay. But we still have not shot our worship towards the glory of God. So what do you worship? I want you to write down little X's and, and, and put down what you worship. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's money. Maybe you worship money. Now, Jesus said there's nothing wrong with money or being rich, but it's a terrible, terrible thing to worship. Terrible thing to put your all into. Maybe you worship stuff, cars, clothes, things. It's most of our problems. We worship stuff or, or the chase after stuff. Maybe you worship sex or lust. Maybe you're controlled by that, that relationship, by what you see on your computer. Maybe you're controlled by friends or acceptance. You're you're, you're worshiping popularity. You're worshiping the rat race and getting closer to being popular and famous, a career, a job. Maybe you even worship something close to God. Maybe you worship church or a leader. You think, well, well, I always go to church, so I'm okay. Well, Well, no, you're... You're not really worshiping God, you're worshiping the ministry, or you're worshiping the organization or the building. See, the truth is, glory, and this is the the, the connection between last week and this week, glory is what sparks worship. Glory is what sparks worship. Let me show it to you. When you go to a football game, yeah, there's, there's the cheering of the crowd and everything, but when you have the last play of the game and you're at home and you're trying to score a touchdown to win the game, the eruption of the crowd going crazy, jumping all over each other, crying, laughing, hugging, just going crazy. Does it happen before the touchdown or after the touchdown? 
Well, it always happens after the touchdown because that's when you've accomplished the goal. You've won the game. You've seen the glory of the win, of beating the other team. And so you worship. You get excited. You get pumped. You don't worship if they throw an interception. Put your head down and walk away. There's no glory in that. When you eat, when you go to a restaurant and you, it's your graduation or your birthday and you go to your favorite restaurant, you get this huge steak that you never get on another day. Your parents like shell out 40, 50 bucks for a steak and it comes out and it's perfectly cooked and you cut into it. it smells great and you're ready to eat it. When does the, when does the satisfaction of eating it, the mmm, the, the, just the exclamation of this is so good happen? Does it happen before you take a bite? No, I mean, who, who does that before they eat. That doesn't even make sense. You can't say something's great before you try it. No, what happens is you eat it. You taste the glory of the meat, the glory of the taste. And you go, oh, yes, it's the best steak I've ever had. Oh, oh, this is so good. You see, you give your worship to the glory. Glory is what sparks Worship something in these things, money, stuff, sex, friends, things of this world, whatever it is, selfishness, pride, something in those things has shown you some glory that you want to attain and so you worship it. You see the glory of, of someone famous and you say, I want to be like that. So you go all in in that direction. You start to worship that instead of the glory of God. You see the glory of money, green pieces of paper that can get you stuff. You say, I'm going to go after that. You see the glory of, of knowing information and so you're all about collecting information so that you can be the smartest guy in the room or you can know the rumors and know what's going on and always people can be just paying attention to you like, like what, well, what's the new gossip and you have it, you have it and you're just ready to give it because you've seen a glory in having that information and you want it so you go after it. So I guess the question we get back to is well how do I stop? How do I stop sinning? How do I stop doing the wrong thing? A lot of people will say, well, here's five easy tips to do better. Here's what you need to do. What the Bible says is you need to change your direction. Yeah, self-control is great, but self-control is not going to save you. Jesus is going to save you. Our, our last point is we need to aim our worship at Jesus we worship our way into sin. Sin doesn't just happen. It happens because we've worshipped something else. We worship our way into sin, so we have to worship our way out of sin. Trying harder will not work. It just won't work. You'll just do something else. You'll just find something else. We have to worship our way out of sin, and that's by turning the aim of our worship to Jesus. And some people say, well, can't I just worship something else, like something better? Well, there's nothing, nothing that can hold up under the weight of our worship except for God and his glory. The glory of money just goes right down the drain. Years back when the, when the recession hit, there were rich billionaires with a B, people that were so rich and they had everything they wanted in the world. And the stock market crashed and they lost everything. And there were guys jumping out of their skyscraper office buildings. taking their own lives because they worship money. And what happened? Well, the money crashed. The money ran out. The money went away. The money did not have the glory to stand up to their worship. 
People are in a relationship and they put everything into it, a friendship or a boyfriend or girlfriend, even a husband or wife. They worship that person and when that relationship is rocky, their life falls apart. We have to worship our way out of sin by worshiping Jesus. Nothing holds up under our worship. In, in Matthew, on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is talking about a man that built a, built a beautiful home. He had the stuff, he had the money, he had the relationships, he had all the things of this world. He was selfish, prideful, had everything he wanted, was smart, intelligent, everything is in this house, this beautiful life. And he builds it on sand. Meanwhile, there's another man that builds his, his house. Maybe it's not as beautiful or anything, but he builds it on rock. Now, storms of life come and they, and they just keep bashing at the homes and bashing at the homes and this beautiful, massive home crashes because it wasn't built on the right thing. Meanwhile, this other home on the rock stands firm in the face of everything because it was built on the rock. It's the same for us. We, we must worship something that can, that can hold up to the storms of life, that can hold up to the weight of our worship, to the weight of billions of people's worship. And it's not money. It's not stuff. It's not achievement. It's not college. It's not a job. It's not even a family or friends. It's God. That's the rock. Nothing can hold up under our worship except God. Have you ever thought about, like, why does God ask us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Isn't that a little selfish of him? Why does he want all that? He doesn't want it because he's just selfish or insecure. He wants it because he knows that if you give your heart, soul, mind, and strength to anything else, you will be devastated. You'll be crushed because it can't hold up. You'll be betrayed. In Luke 4... Jesus has a situation where he's going to, um, he's going to face a worship question. The, the interesting thing about Jesus is that he's a savior and a God that, that did everything we did, that encountered what we encountered. So we're going to look at Luke 4, 5 through 8, if you want to turn with me. Luke 4, 5 through 8. And so Jesus goes into the desert, and, and there he's tempted. He's out there for 40 days and 40 nights in this, in this desert wasteland with nothing. It says the Holy Spirit, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan after his baptism and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, the devil himself. He ate nothing during those days. And, and, uh, and the, this is the reason I love the Bible. It says at the end of them he was hungry. Well, duh. Duh, Luke. He, of course he was hungry. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. Of course, of course he was hungry. He was getting beat down on by the hot sun. Of course He's hungry. And so the devil says to him in, in his moment of desperation, in his moment of just uh, of agony, he says, if, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Of course he wants food. And Jesus says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. And then here's where we're really going to look. Here's the worship, the worship conundrum for Jesus. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the things, all the kingdoms of the world. Obviously this is Satan. He has all the power, um, and a spiritual power, and so he lifts him up to this high place. We're, we're not really given a description, but we know there's no place on earth that's high enough to see everything at once. 
You can't see everything at once. Obviously, this is some type of um, otherworldly experience that he's taking Jesus into. Not just, not just something um, of the world, but something that's, that's totally otherworldly. And in an instant, just like that, he's able to show him all the kingdoms of the world. I imagine Jesus seeing food, power, glory, sex, popularity, acceptance, living a long, great life, family, friends, holidays, sports, achievement, everything at once. What a temptation. And and Satan says to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. How ridiculous is that? Satan gets the authority over earth for a time from God and then tries to tell God that he'll give it to him for a price. Who does he think he is? So he says, I'll give it to you if you want it. But here's the catch. If you worship me, it will all be yours. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus had a choice here. He had a choice to worship God or to worship the world, to worship Satan. He had the same choice we get every day, that we get every moment. See, he's in a life or death situation. Here's the interesting thing, though. Jesus was going to die anyway. From the beginning of time, Jesus knew he came to this earth to die. Why? To die for our sins so that we could be saved, as it says in Romans 3. That's why he came. That's why he came to be a part of this world. He came down to earth to save us, to die. So this was a life or death situation, but it wasn't a life or death situation for Jesus. His fate, his eternity, his his. His purpose was sealed from the beginning of time. It was a life or death situation for me. It was a life and death situation for you. For all of humanity. Because here's what hung in the balance. Jesus came to save us. He came to save us because he was the perfect lamb who would take away the sins of the world. Who would come and be the perfect sacrifice on the cross. Now guess what? If he did that... If he does this sin, if he gives in this one moment, one moment, he's no longer a perfect spotless lamb. The whole deal's done. What's been written in the plans for, for just years and years, for generations, for eternity, since the beginning of time, all hangs in the balance on one decision because a, a one-time sinning man could not be a savior, could not be spotless could not give us eternity and salvation and forgiveness. Our life and death hung in the balance. And Jesus chose us. Jesus chose life. He didn't choose the easy way out for him and just basically give away the rest of eternity and give away all of our lives and send us to death. He, he chose life for us. And he continued that all the way to the cross where he chose death so that we could have life. That is what we preach. That is the gospel of Jesus. Death for life. 
Jesus chose death so we could have life. In this moment, he chose the hard way so we could have life. What an amazing, amazing thing. What foresight to look past the immediate and to look towards the glory of God, towards the joy of God. He did not look at all this other stuff, all the kingdoms of the world. He looked at the glory of God. And because he looked at the glory of God, he did not fall into sin. And so now we're going to respond. We're going to respond the way we do every week. And, and, and we're going to pray for people. Uh, we're going to give an opportunity for people who do not know Jesus, who have never aimed at Jesus we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can repeat after me. It's not the words that save you. It's not special words that Ryan said. The Bible says in Romans, uh, in Romans 10 that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, that, that, that he is the Son of God, then you will be saved. It's a personal decision. No magic words, no special prayer. It's confessing with your mouth, what you believe in your heart. And so with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to just pray this prayer, and you can pray it after me. But first, but first what I want you to do is, I, if you have said, say, Ryan, I've never, I've never given my life to Christ. I've never, I've never taken this step. Maybe I've, I've been stuck in worshiping other things. I've been stuck in the things of this world. I've tried to do better myself or have self-control. I've never actually aimed my worship at Jesus for this, for this one moment of salvation that will lead me on a path towards him for the rest of my days and change my eternity. I've never made this decision. Maybe I've heard about God, I've heard about the glory, but I've never seen the glory of God. I've never chosen the glory of God. If you want to do that right now, what I want you to do is raise your hand. Raise your hand. The reason why is not to embarrass you or to call you out. It's, it's not an embarrassing thing at all. It's it's life. You're choosing life. You're saying, yes, I want life. I want Jesus. Put your hand up so you'll always remember the moment when you said yes to Jesus. And just pray this prayer with me. Pray this prayer with me and believe it. Jesus, I'm yours. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I know I've made mistakes. Worse is I've worshipped other things. Lord, I want to worship you. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died and were brought back to life to give me life. Lord, I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I surrender to you, Lord. Be my Savior. Amen. Now in that moment, in that moment of that prayer that you just prayed, the, the heavens erupt in praise because, and in celebration because someone that was lost is now found. Someone that was going to death is now being brought into life through Jesus. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. And, and for the rest of us, I want us, um, and this, this includes the people that just prayed that prayer, this includes the Christians and the Christ followers in this room, I want us to do something else as, as the band's coming back up. In, in, this, in this chapter 4, it talks about the word worship. And the word worship in the original Greek meant to bow down, 
to kiss the hand. Like if you go to up to a king, if you see a movie where they kiss the, the ring of power, the king's hand to show, to show worship and glory and admiration for him. It also meant to bow to a superior. But the, the interesting connotation and origin of this word was in the Persian Empire at the time. The Persian Empire um, uh, had this custom where when you walked towards someone, whether it was on a road or in town or whatever, and you passed by them, you were to acknowledge them. But it wasn't like when we just say, hey, what's up, how you doing? There was a, a major class system. And so if you went up, and, and as weird as it sounds, if you went up to someone of equal status, you kissed them on the lips because you were equals. If you were to go up to somebody who was, who was, who was a little bit of a higher status than you, but not too far, you, you kissed them on the cheeks. But if you went up to someone who was so far out of your league in terms of status, You would bow down, put both hands on the floor, and touch your forehead to the ground to this person because they were of greater and higher status to you. That is what worship is when they're talking about it here. When, he's, when, when Satan's saying, worship me, when Jesus says, I'm only going to worship God, this is what they're talking about, bowing down. So in this last set, this is what we're going to do. We are going to bow down to Jesus. As we sing these songs, as we listen to this worship music, we're going to bow down to Jesus in admiration and in worship to the glory of God. And so you could do it at your seats, you can do it at the altar, you can get out in the aisles or in the rows, but I want you to just put your forehead to the ground and worship Jesus with everything that's in you. Focus only on him. Do not allow your arrows of worship to go anywhere else except right at Jesus. So let's worship together as we bow down to only to the only person, the only entity, the only thing in existence that deserves our worship. Let's bow down. Look at the glory of God.